Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to HR Work Break. I'm your host, Maddie Collins, editor of HR Daily Advisor. HR Work Break takes a quick but close look at everything human resources. For any HR professional, it's a must listen. I hope you learned something new, take some advice to heart, or simply stay abreast today's trending topics. Now, it's time for a work break. Happy Friday, everyone. Today, I'm joined by Alice Carlton, head of people potential at Saros. Saros is a software company that keeps culture and creativity at the heart of everything they do. Their mission is to help customers unlock their creativity and build exceptional content using a uniquely powerful design platform and helpful support and education resources. Alice, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Maddie. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, me too. So today we're going to be talking mostly about leadership. So I would love to pick your brain about what defines good leadership in your opinion. Sure. My favorite topic, definitely. Leadership spans so much. And one of the things that's at the heart of what I do, as well as at Saros, what we're really committed to is the concept of emerging leadership. And specifically that leadership starts in any moment, day, there's in the moment leadership opportunities, whether someone has a team or not is a really important distinction in my mind. Of course, when we are leading others, the rubber hits the road as far as all of what we might be practicing comes into greater play in many ways, but leadership itself is really equally a mindset as well as it is choices that we make and ultimately relationships, all of our relationships in all directions. And just to add to that, in a nutshell, some of the core traits that are essentially an ongoing development for anyone, any leader, are courage, are risk, micro or macro risk. What does that look like? Building stride and confidence in our own judgment and ultimately caring, caring about the work, caring about the team, caring about others' experience, ultimately at the core of that empathy. And we talk about empathy more and more with leadership, Brene Brown, of course, Simon Sinek, a lot of really great thought leaders are bringing that essential trait to the forefront, which is exciting to me. And it's not just talk, it is an essential trait. And it really, in and of itself, has so many layers and aspects to what does it look like to actually be a courageous and empathetic leader. So kind of going in that vein, how have you seen emotional intelligence and psychological safety have a growing role in leadership? Absolutely. So emotional intelligence, EQ is huge. And the way I think about it is that it accounts for both the internal mindset and experience as a leader, as well as the external expression and impact of our choices and how it impacts not only the moment, but the relationships involved, the team, all the way out to culture. So in any moment, a leader has choice. So one thing that EQ speaks to is we all have strengths and opportunities with EQ. And so first and foremost, prioritizing emotional intelligence, being a student of it as a leader, identifying where we are in a stride or naturally stronger and where we have opportunity and doubling down on those opportunities so that we are constantly growing in our own emotional intelligence. It's not a fixed quotient, which makes it different than some of the other quotients historically, which is why it's so exciting and why we talk about it in relationship to leadership is 
because you can develop greater emotional intelligence. So for those who might be new to what that term is, one way that I describe it and it's often spoken to is it's a combination of self-awareness, social awareness, reading the room, self-management, how we show up, managing our own equilibrium and stress, etc., as well as ultimately relationship management, how we're interacting with others, what are our choices and approach to all relationships. And one of the things that comes back to emotional intelligence with psychological safety is it takes development of empathy and social awareness to be able to read the room and in turn create a space where people take risk, lean in, say the hard things, ask the hard questions, take risks in a space that they feel safe to both succeed or fail. So that initial commitment and ability to, one, know what it looks like to model vulnerability, to in turn create safe space, to read the room and speak to things. If there's tension in the room, to be the first one to speak to it, which is in turn courage modeling that aspect of emotional intelligence, where ultimately when we model courage and vulnerability as leaders, what it does is creates the psychological safety. Psychological safety does not need to be a prescriptive formula. It's literally about modeling. It's literally about setting the tone. And then others lean in versus lean out. (laughs) Yeah. And speaking to having a psychologically safe workplace where you feel enabled and encouraged to take those chances, in what ways can leaders help encourage the emerging leaders, like you had mentioned earlier, to start taking on those leadership and passion projects early on in their careers? Sure. So a few things, holistically, being curious, modeling the power of asking questions in turn, for example, finding out what motivates your individual employees, team members, as well as teams as a whole. And in turn, that motivation being very integral to someone's professional development. So for example, there's the business need always, and then you have all this great talent. And as opposed to assuming the fit, one of the essential pieces of creating opportunity for growth and development are to literally ask, where are you energized? If you had a choice between widening your impact and having more variety in what you do or becoming the subject matter expert and the guru in X, these kind of questions, they give you good intel as an organization. It's more likely to make the right decision or fit as far as assignments and things like that. Equally, though, what's also happening is the conversation about motivation in and of itself is already a motivator. It's already letting someone know, hey, I see you. You're part of this conversation. This isn't a cookie cutter approach. I have seen firsthand how different the trajectory is when we ask questions as part of informal and formal candid conversations, whether they be quarterly sit downs or one-on-ones throughout the week or month, year round, those kind of questions lead to so much more that is greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah, I've honestly recently experienced that firsthand. This podcast in and of itself is a result of a conversation with my boss who wanted to know what project I wanted to take on, where I wanted to learn and grow. And like you said, I felt listened to, I felt empowered, and I'm really happy with where it's taken me thus far. 
I love that case in point. I love it. Yeah. You asked a few things in the question, and I definitely want to make sure that I respond to all of it. Do you mind repeating the question, actually? I want to capture it. Basically, I was curious what your thought process was on how leaders can foster and create opportunities for learning leadership skills at every level, whether you're an entry-level employee or whether you're even on the C-suite. Okay, great. So what I just shared, absolutely, I'd love to include in whatever context of our conversation for sure. Adding, when it comes to what an organization is doing to create opportunity, both for someone to sign on or choose from what's available, as well as creating the opportunity for that more self-directed, hey, I'm interested in X or I'd like to develop Y. There are two parts to the same intent. So generally, what I have experienced and fostered is making a point that the more tactical or, quote, transactional skill building, where it might be sometimes called hard skills, like learning how to master a certain database and even things like time management, those are skills that we often incorporate into someone's development, which is good. And it often is either role-specific or level-specific. Equally, and more so, what I foster and strongly encourage companies to do is identify and create opportunities for day one employees, as well as all the way to C-suite, to build greater confidence, greater insight, risk, and confidence in one's own judgment and action. Meaning, for example, what leaders are doing at any level, a first-time manager all the way to C-suite, is navigating. They're navigating complexity. They're navigating relationships. They're navigating how to address, support, coach, foster, enable, empower, all of these type of things. They're basically navigating different scenarios. So one of the essential skills in navigating is trusting one's own judgment. So rather than prescriptive, the idea of coaching, for example, coaching is very different than training. And coaching early on is specifically an opportunity for someone to speak freely about what their challenges are, noodle out what they're navigating, and ultimately gain new insight of their own, new action that they might take risk, ideally, some kind of micro or macro risk that then in turn builds greater confidence and experience along the way as a leader. And whether it goes as expected or whether it goes differently, part of all of it is building resilience, building what happens next as a leader, how to navigate the after effect of a choice or decision. So it's that building trust in our own judgment through taking risk That's the kind of opportunities, whether it's coaching, whether it's brainstorming, open conversations at different levels that allow people to take more risk, not less, and learn from it. These are all ways that organizations can foster building greater true confidence as leaders at all levels. Right. With the difference between leadership coaching and leadership training, do you think there's going to be a shift? toward one or the other in the future, or that they are ultimately going to join hands to be essential in leadership? I absolutely have a point of view on this. And in my crystal ball, I see coaching becoming the given. 
And for a few reasons, one between millennial and Gen Z as a given, most things can be learned in multiple ways, self-directed. There will be much more micro content or capsulized content around what's important to X. Everyone wants to feel confident with hard skills for sure and more traditional training. And the training that I see happening would be more to role specific. These are your resources. This is what's important for success in this role. This is the transparency of how we do things and what we know to be important and relevant to what you're doing. That, of course, the onboarding, the ongoing training of new intel that's specific to a company, yes. But as far as training around things like time management, delegation, communication skills, what I foresee is more and more that coaching and that personalized coaching and or group workshops that instill equally the opportunity for personal insight, experience, conversation versus dispensed information, which we do both at Saros. We do confidential coaching at all levels, and we do more cohort interactive style workshops so that even there, it's not feeling like a training as much as an opportunity to converse as a group around trusted content and themes. Right. Like a workshop, a collaboration of sorts. Yeah. More of a workshop approach. So I foresee both having a place I do think that the asynchronous or self-directed DIY micro content, all of those both for soft and hard skills will have a place and the actual leadership development will look more and more like coaching. That's really interesting. And you had mentioned in your answer to that last question, um, millennials and Gen Z. So I wonder what you think the future of leadership is going to look like as the older generations begin to pass the torch and educate and coach, like you said, the younger generations. I love that question. And my instinct is that we'll see more vulnerability, just more human talking, thinking out loud, sharing about failures equal to success, more and more insights versus outcomes And that's true to us as a general culture, human culture. That's more and more where we're heading as people are being a bit more vulnerable, just in general. So that in itself, by nature, I see us leaning that way. Equally, though, given even the last 5, 10, 20 years, as emotional intelligence becomes more and more part of our conversation as thought leaders speak to vulnerability with the confidence and the relevance to not only as something that is allowed, but actually is essential to leadership. So that modeling, there's something called the vulnerability loop, which Daniel Coyle speaks to in the book, The Culture Code, one of my top five favorite culture resource and uh, just a great book. Essentially, back to what we spoke to earlier, the idea of modeling psychologically when we model vulnerability, which is not TMI, which is not here's the mess, rescue me, or here I'm dumping, now deal with it. It's intentional, whether it's planned or impromptu. The intent with a vulnerability loop as a leader is to move either the conversation, the relationship, the project, or the culture forward. How it works essentially is that. Just by saying something like, hey, I'm nervous too. This is a big deal. We're about to embark on X, dot, dot, dot. 
hey, could have handled that better. Let's talk through how we're going to do it differently. I welcome feedback for me and us as a group. Let's get into it. These kind of simple statements are a vulnerability loop. And what's happening is whether it's in the moment, a day later, weeks or months later, the teams or the people involved are significantly more likely to lean in, ask the hard questions, say the hard things, bring up innovation, all of that trickles. So all that to say, vulnerability at the core, I believe is how leadership will look more and more and not contrived, intentional, not messy, but real and human, which sometimes is messy. (laughs) Yeah. And there's a confidence. It's a leader move to be vulnerable, right? And I will share one other piece I foresee is there will absolutely be more and more recognition of leadership in all forms. So whether someone is, quote, an individual contributor, whether someone's leading a team of five or 500 or 5,000, 50,000, whatever it might be, that distinction, because of the core traits of leadership that crosses over team or no team, are things like vulnerability, courage, resilience, ability to navigate complexity, intuition, trusting one's own judgment, all the things we're talking about, that in turn, there will be more recognition. So for example, at Saros, we're literally, as we speak, embarking on a more intentional principal performer track where historically there's an early on moment in many people's career where growth at many companies would look like leading a team. That's the next step. And that's considered leadership. It comes with a lot of opportunity, recognition, comp, title, all of those things. And it's essential. And and I'm so excited for what we're doing at Saros to recognize, especially with the careers that many millennials, Gen Z are very much leaning into, which are design, engineering, sales, customer relationships as well. All of it has the potential. So I won't go too far on a tangent. But I would say those two essential difference of where we might have been in the past. Yeah, I can very easily see where what is becoming a priority now is going to continue on that upward trend of uh, leadership qualities and emotional vulnerability. And I'm excited about it. I know at Sarah's, we talk about it a lot, very openly, and we don't have all the answers. We have the questions. We have the curiosity and intent around what does it look like to be a vulnerable leader? How is our CEO, Simon Berg? modeling it? How are myself, Jan Schwab, who's our CPO, chief people officer, as a people and culture, the exec team as a whole, leaders at all levels, how are we asking ourselves these questions and what are we learning and being willing to take the risks that we're asking our teams to do? That's really exciting. And I actually have one final question for you. Since this episode airs on a Friday, I'd love to know what you're looking forward to this weekend. Oh, sure. I love that. Well, one cool thing about Saros is that we have Wellness Friday, which is half day Fridays year round. Oh, that's so nice. So that always gives myself, our teams, everyone a chance to change gears and truly ease into the weekend a bit. I am always looking forward to playing tennis, which I do a lot of as a way to release and it's a social community and something I love. I also am excited about the heat of summer, honestly. (laughs) We just came back from an all-company retreat in Mexico. It was amazing. It was such a great moment in our year. And a lot of things were pre-Mexico, post-Mexico. So now we're in post-Mexico, which means we have a little more bandwidth. And I'm excited to enjoy the summer weekend just as a summer weekend in July. 
That's awesome. I hope you're able to get in some good tennis matches and hopefully the heat doesn't suck too much energy out of you too. Staying cool is essential too, for sure. Definitely. Alice, thank you so much for joining me today. It's really been a pleasure speaking with you. Likewise, thank you so much, Maddie, for having me. Again, I'm Maddie Collins, and thank you for listening. Join us next Friday or whenever you need a work break.